0: This week we're talking about photographing aurora borealis and cold weather gear and you're listening to the Landscape Photography Podcast. you guys so much for tuning in this week sorry it's been a little while since our last episode i've actually been in iceland photographing my winter adventure workshop and it was just an absolutely amazing time with a few takeaways which i wanted to share with you guys today so sorry it's been a little bit but it's kind of hard to do these podcasts when i'm on the road this week i wanted to talk to you guys about winter weather clothing and different gear that i use because It's very fresh on my mind because we had some really crazy weather when we were in Iceland, and I've slowly honed in what it is that I use and love as far as winter gear, and I wanted to share some of that stuff with you guys. Also, we have got to photograph the Aurora Borealis a bunch of times, and I wanted to share with you guys some of the techniques that we were using to capture that stuff. So that's what we're going to talk about in this episode, so let's jump into it. Iceland tends to get a bad rap sometimes because it's gotten more touristy than it used to be in the past. Granted, if you only hit the highlights, if you go on the Golden Circle Tour, as well as Jökulsárlón and Kirkjufellfoss, you're going to see a bunch of tourists. And that's just kind of the nature of the beast. But the thing is, if you go to some of the lesser known waterfalls or lesser known areas or if you change up your schedule and go at night rather than during the day, you can avoid most of those tourists, if not all of the tourists. I'm just getting done with my winter adventure workshop, which I led with Thor from Thor Photography, is a native Icelandic guy. And uh, first of all, he is awesome. If you are ever going to Iceland, you need a guide. Thor is the person you wanna go with. He is incredibly knowledgeable. He knows the area like nobody else, and he's a fantastic photographer and educator as well. So shout out to Thor. He was awesome to work with. One of the coolest parts of doing this workshop is that We ended up photographing a lot of the areas just all to ourselves. We would have an entire waterfall to explore all to ourselves. Maybe there was one or two other uh, photographers there, but it was really easy to avoid some of those crowds just by hiking a little bit, you know, hike a half mile away from the parking lot and suddenly you're all by yourself, you know, just choosing some of the areas that are not quite as popular. Some of the weather that we got was absolutely insane when we were in Iceland. We were photographing routinely in, you know, 50 mile an hour, 60 mile an hour winds. There was one day that we had wind gusts up to 111 miles an hour, literally hurricane force winds. Uh, We didn't shoot that day, uh, but the following day we did shoot and we got... Just some beautiful, beautiful images with snow blowing through the scene and the the sun came out to play. So a lot of that snow was backlit. It was incredibly cold, but incredibly fruitful. And without the winter weather gear that we were wearing, we would have all been quite miserable. In fact, some of us were miserable. But myself, I was actually pretty toasty warm and I wanted to share with you guys what I was wearing to kind of keep myself warm and dry in those conditions. So starting with the base layers, I have transitioned over into merino wool everything. I'm a huge merino wool fan these days. Uh, The reason for it is you can wear it over and over and over and it doesn't start to smell. And when it gets wet, it doesn't really make you cold. If you're wearing something that's made out of cotton, or something like that once it gets wet you're done it just gets really cold but for whatever reason if you sweat in merino wool it breathes really well and it doesn't get you cold. So merino wool is excellent. It's very warm and it makes a great base layer. Another thing that I have transitioned into, especially when I'm traveling, is if I'm going to wear like some kind of shirt over the top or pants over the top of that merino wool, which obviously I'm going to be wearing pants, I try to make it a synthetic material of some kind. A lot of time it's it's some kind of nylon mix with something else I don't know all of my fabrics all that well but I always get some kind of quick dry material or like a you know a Columbia hiking pant to go over the top of that base layer that way not only if it gets wet i can dry it really quickly it's really nice for you know you can just hang it up overnight and it's totally dry by morning but also it doesn't smell (laughs) when you're on a photo trip you know it sucks to try to travel with five or six pairs of pants and five or six shirts it's really nice if you just take three and you can really decrease the amount of clothing that you're wearing because you can quickly wash it in the sink and then it's dry by morning. Uh, synthetic materials dry really fast, they don't smell, and they make a nice overlayer over the top of that base layer. So starting with my shoes or with my hiking boots, I use Salomon currently, and I have the Salomon Gore-Tex GTX3 hiking boot. They are not a cheap shoe, and that in fact, most of these things I'm about to mention are not cheap. That's one of the reasons it's taken me so long to really collect my outdoor kit is because so much of this stuff is expensive, it's hard to pull the trigger on it. It's hard to really feel like it's justified, but once you get it, you don't regret it. So it's kind of like tripods. You spend that money, and then you don't have to buy it again. Buy nice, or you'll buy twice. So again, my hiking boots are Gore-Tex so they're waterproof waterproof way up above the ankle which is really nice and they stay fairly warm even in winter conditions so you know i didn't take any kind of snow boot or anything like that if you combine it with a nice wool sock they stay really warm even in winter conditions again i'll put links of all of this stuff in the show notes if you're interested in in checking them out for yourself next up are my gore-tex outer layer for my legs for my pants uh, these are actually made by Burgess. I got these on Thomas Heaton's recommendation. Before these, I was using just kind of the cheap rain pant from Columbia. And I have to say that there's a massive difference between just kind of a uh, PVC style rain pant And like a Gore-Tex rain pants. First of all, these have a zipper that go all the way up the leg, which make them really easy for putting on out in the field you can put them on right over the top of boots. It also means that you can actually let them breathe a little bit. If you're hiking, you can unzip up by the hip and kind of let some of that heat out. But I found these to be so, so nice. Not only were they 100% waterproof, but they stayed very clean. They kept me warm when it was really windy. It's a nice outer layer. And combined with just a thin hiking pant, a merino wool, base layer and those i was toasty warm even in the coldest days that really made for a nice set of layers for cold weather now actually i'm looking forward to shooting in those anytime it's really muddy as well because they were really really waterproof next up are my jackets i actually had two jackets with me i have a rei down jacket which this is probably my most recent addition to my winter weather gear kit. I've been really slow to the down jacket, but now that I have one, holy cow, I can't imagine not having one. The the beauty of these puffy down jackets is just how light they are. You can compress them down, and they fit so nice and easy into a camera bag. A lot of times, as a photographer, you're hiking into a place, so you need to wear less layers. So you're putting that jacket in your camera bag. And then once you get there, you need to put on a layer because you're just gonna stand there and do nothing. And it's really nice to have a light jacket like that, that you can really easily throw in the camera bag. Plus they are so warm compared to how how light they are. That's the baffling thing to me is just how warm they are. So that was kind of my under layer for underneath my main jacket. My main jacket is my Cabela's Guidewear Gore-Tex jacket. I'm a huge Huge fan of Gore-Tex. Gore-Tex is just an amazing fabric. You do have to retreat them occasionally. Anything Gore-Tex eventually will kind of lose its waterproofing on the outside. And then you just apply some of the, the waterproofing treatment stuff that they, they put on to on it in the factory. You can reapply that and then regains all of its waterproof abilities. But I love that jacket uh, mostly because it has so many pockets. It's kind of a long jacket. So when it's raining. I'm like waterproof almost down to my knees. It's a very long jacket. Really, really love that jacket. And when I wear that down jacket underneath that, I am incredibly warm. So on this trip, I actually had with me two different winter hats. I had just kind of my standard stocking cap that I actually bought there in Iceland because I left mine at home. But when it got really windy and really cold, I loved having my fur-lined bomber style hat. I'll put a link in the show notes to the closest one that I can find. Uh, The one that I have is actually made from Wiki, and it's not a terribly expensive hat. It's like a $35 hat. But it's one of those that has kind of the fur-lined flaps that fall down over your ear there's, <laughs> It actually has some fur-lined flaps that cover your neck as well. You know the hat that I'm talking about. You look really, really cool when you're wearing these. Actually, no, you don't. You look like a pilot out of the 30s or something. But, but uh really, really warm hats. I found it to actually be way too warm unless it was very, very cold and windy. So I couldn't wear it all the time. But when I could wear it, I greatly appreciate it. Warmest hat I've ever had. I'll put a link in the show notes. The closest thing that I can find. Next up are my winter. Winter gloves. I absolutely love the photography glove from Valorette. I have uh, several different models from them, but I think my favorite on this trip was the new zipper mitt that they, they just came out with. They have a merino wool base layer for your hands, kind of have like a, a touch compatible so you can still operate your phone merino wool underlayer. But then you have this mitt that goes over the top of that, and you can just unzip the the fingers and poke out both your fingers and your thumb as you need them. The thing about Valorette gloves is that they have really nice sticky palms, so you're ne- you never feel like you're going to drop your gear. A lot of the other lines of gloves that Valorette have, uh, they have these magnetized openings on your on your pointer finger and on your thumb where you can stick out your pointer finger and your thumb that way you can operate your dials and then they have little magnets that hold them open. I absolutely love them. They're not a cheap glove, but they are worth every penny. I just absolutely love my Valorette photography gloves. And then when we were shooting on the beaches, I of course brought my NRS boundary socks that I rant about pretty often. Everybody that had them was pretty impressed with just how warm and well they work. I will say though that you want to make sure that you put the sock itself especially up by your knee you want to put that against skin that's the only way it's going to actually seal at the top i made the mistake of wearing my base layer and then i was too lazy to take the base layer off so i went over the top of my merino wool and what happens was i got in really deep you know almost waist deep and then the water soaked my base layer and then just kind of creeped down wicked down underneath my boundary sock and which kind of defeats the purpose of being watertight but with the nrs boundary sock you're totally warm and you can stand photographing ice beach pretty much all day long and be okay eventually your feet do get cold just you know the temperature of everything you're standing in very cold water with freezing cold shoes over the top of your boundary socks there is a limit but you're good for at least a couple hours with those and your feet do stay dry with the exception of the sweat that happens because they don't breathe at all So eventually what happens is you sweat, you get a little bit of sweat in your sock, and then eventually that sweat gets a little bit cold. But NRS boundary socks are by far the best way for a photographer to shoot in the water because they are way lighter. They are a fraction of the weight of something else. You don't have to drag a big muck boot in your luggage all the way across the Atlantic. You can just shove these in your in your suitcase. So that's some of the winter gear that we had. We had amazing conditions and like I said, we got to photograph the Aurora Borealis. We actually had 4 nights, not in a row, but we had 3 nights in a row of getting to go out and shoot Aurora Borealis. And then on the last day, it was actually the day after the workshop, we got it one more time and we got such great aurora shows. It was an amazing time and for a lot of the people on the workshop it was the first time they ever got to see Aurora Borealis and There is nothing cooler than just seeing the smiles light up. And some people, their jaws just literally drop because when you see Aurora from above the Arctic Circle, it is a completely different experience. So I wanted to give you guys some tips for photographing Aurora. In these situations, we had a moonless sky. We were photographing this during a moonless night, which means that when the Aurora got really strong, It was a very high dynamic range scene. You have these really bright green streaks going across your frame. You know, whatever foreground you have is just going to be nothing but a pit of blackness. So what we had to do is we had to take two different shots at least to capture the full dynamic range of the scene. When we were waiting for the Aurora to really take off and when the Aurora was a little bit less active, we would lower our ISO down to say 800 and then we would do a three minute exposure, sometimes even three and a half minute exposure. And what that would allow us to do is to do take this nice bright image where we get far less noise in our foreground, That we can later blend in with those much darker frames with a shorter shutter speed where we're actually capturing the aurora. In an audio podcast, it's very hard to visualize this probably, but just envision blending in that darker frame much like you would a darker frame for a bright sunset and blending those two shots together. The end result is nice, clean shadow information in addition to that really strong, deep, contrasty aurora scene. Blending those shots together is a challenge. I personally use luminosity masks to help guide me, especially around that transition zone near the horizon. Typically what I'll do is I'll start to blend that sky in, and then when I get down close to my horizon line, I'll select a luminosity mask that really targets that kind of halo that you're creating, And that'll help me finish off the exposure blend. So it's basically just exposure blending in a darker sky, just like you would do for a sunset. But just like any other scene, you need to have some kind of interesting, uh, compelling foreground, or you really need to, at the very least, take composition into mind. A lot of people get so excited about seeing the Aurora for the first time that they just take random Aurora shots with just like, you know, random stuff in their foreground and they don't really take the time to dial in a composition. It's great at the time. You're having a great time and then you get back, you look at your photos and you're like, oh, that's kind of weak. That doesn't (laughs) that doesn't convey what I saw. So just like any beautiful sunset or Milky Way photo, you need to have a strong composition. So for that reason, we were trying to get to the area with plenty of time before the peak of Aurora was predicted. That way we had some time to dial in our compositions and be ready for it and waiting for it rather than panicking and trying to find a composition because the Aurora was going off. Also with Aurora, it's different from other night photography in that you have to keep your shutter speed a little faster. Sometimes when the Aurora is really, really strong, it's dancing across your scene. And you need to use a shorter shutter speed so you don't end up with just a big blurry green blob across your frame. So a lot of times we were using shutter speeds like three seconds, four seconds, sometimes longer, but sometimes even shorter depending on the the strength of the Aurora. Common settings that we were using was probably around ISO 3200 or three seconds when it got really strong. But there were also times when the Aurora was not so strong and we are using settings more like ISO 5000 for 10 seconds. It's much different than a average night scene because the Aurora can get quite bright and you have to really keep an eye on that green channel, make sure that you're not actually blowing out your highlights. Also another thing that I did not do on this trip that I wish that I would have and I was actually recommending to people is to get set up with a really nice composition, get that brighter foreground shot and then just set it up to do a time lapse. Because the Aurora is constantly changing and, and moving around your frame, And you never know which one is just going to be the not only the most photogenic but the most pleasing for your scene and if you set up a a nice time lapse you can sift through and find that one that works the best for your composition but then you at the end you also get a time lapse and you get to show that beautiful way that the aurora is moving I didn't do that. I was constantly changing compositions and I was getting a little greedy in the way that I wanted to come away with a bunch of different shots. As a result, I didn't get a a time lapse and I didn't get to have that for future uses. So I highly recommend just setting up at least one camera in a time lapse and then use your other camera if you're taking two and do your multiple compositions that way. All right, guys, that's pretty much what I have for you this week. Thank you guys so much for being patient with me when I'm traveling and teaching workshops. Sometimes it gets really challenging to be consistent with the podcast, but I'm home for a while and we should be able to be consistent with the podcast for the next several months. So so there's that I have uh, some cool guests coming up. And I'm looking forward to the episodes that hopefully you guys will enjoy. So uh, thank you guys so much for hanging in there with me. Remember, there will be links in the show notes for any of the gear if you're interested in that kind of thing. And we'll see you next time. So take it easy, everybody. Bye-bye.